Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Hello. Good morning. Hello, everybody. We have a suit in the fourth row. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, suits are safe to belong. That is absolutely true. But they will be pointed out. I just, I, uh, that is wonderful. Good morning. Good morning, man. Great to see you guys. Hello. Welcome to our community. If you want to find out a little bit more about us, you can go to voxoc.com. Welcome. We've got a couple things coming up. Number one, um, Easter is happening. Whether, whether we're ready or not, it's coming. It is coming. We're doing uh, baptisms. Our first baptisms uh, will be on Easter Sunday. So if you've never been baptized, the baptism is just immersion. So we have, we're going to have this fancy, um, uh, portable, hopefully very warm body of water uh, into which you will be dunked, immersed. Uh, and, um, and so for centuries, Christians have always seen um, Easter as... Uh, the time when new believers would be baptized into the community. And so it's a picture of death of old self and resurrection of new self. And so if you're interested in that, sign up uh, at voxoc.com. You can sign up for, uh, and let us know, or you can choose that day to be like, oh, okay, well, let's go. Um, we'd love to have RSVP, though, so you can do that. Also, we have something called a new to Vox dinner, which is a bit more about our, our community. You can find out about that. And... We need musicians, guys. We need them. We've got some great ones. We need more. So if you are here and you're kind of you're kind of a rock star, and I mean I don't mean in your own mind. I mean other people have said you're gifted musically. All right, because because sometimes you'll get people who are like, no, I'm a really good singer, and you're like, nah. If we put you up here, we'd actually mute uh, everything. Like so. So you, there's kind of a bit of give and take on this. There has to be a general agreement that you are good. Uh, but, but if you're interested, talk to Izzy. Because uh, we, we, right now we have just a volunteer crew. And uh, they're amazing to give their time and to give their expertise. And we want to not exhaust the same people over and over and over again. So uh, we'd love to hear from you if you're in any way musical. Otherwise, I'm going to have to learn how to play the bass. And uh, that means we'll, we'll play the same two songs over and over and over again. Now, one of, the, one of the most enjoyable things we're going to do this morning, at least for me, I don't know for you, is that we're going to welcome um, a, a bunch of community pastors uh, to our stage and commission them in front of everybody. So uh, I want to explain, come on out, gang. I want to explain who these men and women are. And uh, good morning, everybody. And uh, look at this. Look at this handsome crew. Yep. Oh, yeah, do not. I'm not blocked. And so, um, so here's, here's the deal. Um, when you think of pastor, you think of caring, you think of compassionate, you think of shepherd, you think of sage, you think of wisdom, prayerfulness. I'm O for that whole list, okay? Like, I'm good at teaching, and I'm, I'm kind of good at, like, being friendly uh, but like, if you really want a pastor, and I've disappointed people this way because they're like, well, you're just not super pastoral. You're kind of like this, 
you're kind of like this energizer bunny. You know, you're not, you don't, you're not bringing shalom to my horrible situation. Uh, and so, so um, and, and this is David. And he shared his story. And, he, and his big confession was he's a pastor who isn't pastoral at all. And, and so we realized um, there are people in our community who, are, who have the gifts of pastoring and that we wanted to introduce them to you. These are folks that are being uh, invited and trained and blessed and commissioned in front of you. This is our care team. Uh, this is, uh, we have a prayer team as well we're going to introduce you to. This is our care team. These are the folks that are going to do weddings. These are the folks that are going to do funerals. Uh, these are the folks that are going to do, visit hospitals and, and provide uh, crisis care and counseling and all of referrals and all of those sorts of things. So, David, take it away. Oh, did I really? Yeah. Well, that's okay. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Oh, sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you guys, good morning. Uh, my name is David. I, I get the privilege of uh, working alongside these wonderful people. And like Mike said, these people have been identified with a, with a pastoral gift, with a gift to care. Um, it's not that I don't care. Uh, they just care more. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, I get to make the charts that they have to, you know, live by. We love charts. We love charts. Yes, we do. But um, getting to know each and every one of these individuals has been a blessing, has been just an amazing part of our community. And to see them today be commissioned to care for you guys is a big deal because we want, as we grow, we want to be able to um, meet the needs of those who walk through these doors. But not only that, those who would consider Vox as, uh, as a place that they can go to to get uh, pastoral care. So what they're going to do right now is they're going to introduce themselves and they're going to say a, a, a quick sentence as to why sentence, they're excited no to be part of this team. And then we're going to pray for them. So we're going to start with... I'm Jonathan Salt, and I'm excited to share the grace and hope of our Christ Jesus. Wow, pretty eloquent. I'm Joanna Salt, and um, I'm looking forward to being a resource for um, comfort, joy, um, as we tread through life together, and the fact that I get to do it alongside my amazing husband is a double blessing. I'm Bruce Chambers. I'm looking forward to um, coming alongside you when you're hurting and helping you work that out in a non-judgmental space and uh, just hearing your story. I'm Nate Carson, and I'm Blanket Statement, looking forward to giving care. Good morning. My name is Amy Lee, and I'm looking forward to just getting to know more, more of your stories in this community and um, supporting you guys the best way I can. Hi, my name's Joanne Jung, and I thoroughly enjoy doing deeper community. Hi, my name's Brian Burnett, and I was very fortunate at some very tough times in my life to have some good people come alongside me, and um, hopefully for a few of you, I can be that. My name is Becca Burnett, and I am really excited to be a source of encouragement for those of you that are discouraged, and may that be in a hospital room or over a cup of coffee, I want to bring encouragement to you. I'm Heather Sovine, and I'm looking forward to being able to be a support for you um, when you and your loved ones are in the hospital or when you lose a loved one. I'm a nurse, so that's my world. Um, I'm Rebecca Rotelli, and I'm a community pastor because I want to care for people in order to advance the kingdom of God. I'm Norm Beard, and to me, it's always been my foundation is love God and love others, so this is a big platform to be able to love others. 
I'm Rick, and I am looking forward to just helping you guys, encouraging you guys, empowering you guys to take the next step in your faith wherever you are on that path. Oh, it's beautiful. So this is a great, great crew. Seminary professors and accountants and therapists and web designers and nurses and household runners and coaches and contractors. And so um, these are folks that uh, we are absolutely thrilled to have part of our community, and we wanted you to hear from them and know who they are and, um, and know that they're available. So we'll talk more about um, uh, how we care for folks here, but today we just want to commission them and present them in front of the community and in front uh, of our Lord. And so if you would uh, pray with me, we're going to pray over this crew. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, mighty God, we call down your blessing and your favor, your empowerment, um, your spirit to reside, to rest uh, on these brothers and sisters who, who already have been blessed with, with gifts and passions and callings to be a blessing to other people, particularly those in crisis and in need of a tangible voice, of presence, of listening. My, uh, God, we pray that this would be a community where people not only experience safety in the large group, but would experience safe to belong um, when they're in the middle of mess and when they're in the middle of crisis and when they're in the middle of it's not perfectly put together. And would you use uh, these brothers and sisters of ours in that way? Would you give them favor and wisdom and grace and protect them um, as they serve? And may we uh, have a reputation not only among uh, ourselves, but among the community is a place where people are loved and cared for and blessed uh, wherever they are. And so to that end, we ask your blessing upon them in the name of Jesus. Amen. So say hello, my brothers and sisters. Say hello. Great job, you guys. Excellent work. Excellent work. Well done here, Rick. Go ahead and give this back to Andy, if you would. All right. So I love that. Um, there are a couple of things that uh, are always part of our gatherings. If you're new, one, we love questions, doubt, skepticism, um, and uh, so we always are taking questions. Now, we get so many questions that we're having to invent places to answer them. So some of these questions that you asked uh, last week, I'm just going to show you where we're answering them uh, and not answer them. So, so they're either going to be answered or, and, and again, it's not the answers that are the point, it's the fact that it's, it's safe to ask. Um, I, you know, I, I give an answer, not because I think I, I know, uh, but because the questions are, um, it's a way to validate the sincerity of the question. And, uh, and so, anyway, I want to throw some questions up. Here's the phone number. Uh, and and we, get, we get all sorts of, you know, cargo short requests and um, uh, recipes, and uh, we get everything. But we're particularly interested in your questions. All right, so first one. Is there a way to become a cool, wise, urban teaching pastor like Mike Erie, Tim Mackey, John Mark Comer, Francis Chan, Dave Lomas without paying thousands of dollars at a seminary school? First of all, one name in that list does not belong with the others, okay? <laughs> I, I don't know that anybody who knows me well would call me cool, wise, or urban, all right? So just for the record... Um, teaching, I, I will agree to teaching, Pastor. Now, we, on Thursdays, 
Um, last Thursday, we took this question and spent about 10 minutes on it on Facebook Live. So you can go to the Vox podcast page on Facebook, and you can actually join us live, or uh, this is a place we're going to answer some of the questions that take, are going to take a little bit longer, okay? So if that was you, it's actually on Facebook, on our page. Go check that out. Um, and uh, that's one of the places we're now. So we record a podcast on Thursdays. After that, we go live to answer some of the questions we get, and they're archived there. All right, next. My kids ask me really tough questions about faith, which, by the way, is awesome. You want your kids to be asking you tough questions about faith. How do I know God is real? Why is there so much violence in the Old Testament? And my personal favorite, why are so many Christians annoying? (laughs) You're pretty good with words. you got to get out more. How should I answer these? One more. Why do we need to go to church? Oh, yeah, also, why do we sing? They seem to hate singing for some reason. They are teen and preteen. Now, this, this is worthy of a whole podcast. So we're going to do a whole podcast on all the dumb stuff I've tried with my children. And maybe so you'll learn some lessons that will be helpful to you. Um, I think that is genius. I applaud the fact that you allow them to question these things. You encourage those questions. A quick answer always is this. I tell my kids all the time, I love you and I'm proud of you whether you follow Jesus or not. They see Jesus and, and our following of him. Um, and out of the sincerity of our lives together, of course we want that for our children. We raise them in that, but we've never made it a condition of our approval or love for them. Um, we, also, we also give them huge space to doubt and to question. We'd rather be the container for those as opposed to them just silently wondering and feeling like they have to pretend in a church community. And so that's worthy of a whole podcast. So we'll get to that one in a couple of weeks. Next. So you say the church exists to love and serve the world, not to sit in judgment of it. How should the church respond to sin within the church? There's sin in the church? I had no idea. In my experience, we judge not only those outside, but are really good about judging those inside too. Is that the end of the question? Next? Oh, yeah, go back. So... um, What we did with this one is we put that on Facebook as well, because that's a long question. Paul does say, yes, I don't judge those outside the church, I judge those inside, but how can the church practice right discernment with each other? There are certain contexts and conditions where that's appropriate. Very often, people experience in the church the kind of judgment, unfortunately, the church is known for that Jesus outlaws uh, among us. And so um, we took some time. That, that one, just again, is on Facebook if you want to find out more. I'm not going to do this every week. I'm not going to punt to like Facebook. I just want to show you that's where some of these are going so that you know it's there. If you ever write in a question, you're like, well, you didn't answer my question. Well, maybe we did. You just didn't know that we did. Next. If the point of the church is to prepare us to witness, where is the church series on how to answer atheist questioning people? Okay, first of all, You're not prepared to witness. You already are a witness, right? Witnessing is this old word that means like going and sharing your faith. And I want to tell you that that is one of the most mistaken ways of understanding what our role is in the world, right? Our role in the world, you already are a witness. It's just the question of what are you witnessing to? You already do. 
So it's not like you're prepared to do this. No, no, no. The minute you're a follower of Jesus, your identity as a witness is confirmed. And you're either witnessing to his grace and power and hope and beauty, or you're witnessing to his ugliness or the ugliness, rather, we do in his name. And so, and then secondly, we're never going to do a how do I answer my atheist friends thing because you're never going to feel ready to do that. How in the world would anybody ever just sit in a room and say, okay, if I listen to enough information, then I'll be ready. I'll, I'll remember it, I'll understand it, and I'll have it ready at my fingertips for people that have questions. Heck no. The best thing we do when we're with people like that is let them give voice to their questions, validate their concerns, and point them to resources that we, that, I mean, there are so many things. If somebody is genuinely interested, books and podcasts and recordings, I mean, my goodness, there is such a huge huge array of information out there for people who are genuinely interested that will, be, that will be communicated in a way more compelling and intelligent way than any of us could ever get to. So we're not ever going to do a series on, okay, let me teach you the Kalam cosmological argument for God's existence. We're just not going to do that because you're not going to remember it. Um, I don't remember it. And, you know, whatever. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Witness, witness, the way you witness to your faith is about becoming more like Jesus. Jesus didn't get into arguments with people. Jesus, Jesus just lived a compelling life. And, and there is a place for answers, of course, but we're never going to feel fully prepared for every question that's out there. So we're not going to spend our time doing that. Makes sense? Okay, joy to the world. Let's go to the book of Exodus. That was the questions. There you go. Hallelujah. See how great that was? Oh, boy. All right. You guys were in a good mood until I got, I got started. And then it's like tank. All right. Now, one of the things we're doing is we are uh, going through, and it's just very, very compelling stuff. We are going through um, some of our core convictions as a community. And there are three upon which this community is built. One is that we believe the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. And so that's why we do Q&A and we tell the stories we tell and talk about the things we talk about. Secondly, we believe uh, the church should be the place where we love and serve the world rather than sit in judgment of it. That's what we talked about last week. It was fascinating. <laughs> no worries. Is that Siri? Oh, that was me on playback? Man, that is awful. I hear my voice and I'm like, who, who sits through this? Why? It's nasally, like just, ah, uh, yeah. But you see why I podcast, right? Because, I mean, I have a face for podcasting, so I just kind of hide in a room. Ugh, it's awful. Now, okay. Um, and then uh, the third uh, conviction that we built our community on is that um, the church has to capture the hearts and minds of the next generation. And, and that doesn't mean we entertain them. Uh, that simply means we provide a play. Well, I'll show you what it means in just a second. How about that? Exodus chapter 12. Boom! If you are not a fan of the Bible, or you don't know the Bible, or you're new to faith, or new to church, or new to Jesus, everything's up on the screen so you can follow along. So one of the things that we talk about um, with regularity is that God is a God who loves to give us physical reminders of spiritual things. We're forgetful people. Uh, we remember what we should forget. We forget what we should remember. And so one of the things that God does with his people all the time is he gives them physical reminders of things. We talked about rainbows. 
Uh, we've talked about baptism, right? To, to be reminded that you are a new creation. Uh, the, the bread and the cup of communion. God is a God of props. God uses physical stuff. And one of the purposes of the faith community is to use the props to explain the faith to the next generation behind them. So, Exodus chapter 12, this is, uh, this is where God instituted something called Passover, um, and, and it was to be a celebration of God's miraculous deliverance of the nation out of slavery and into freedom. And notice, notice what uh, Moses says. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 25. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony, the ceremony of Passover. And when you are what? Okay, so when I say that, that means you talk. All right, if you'd like to. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of Egypt or the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So the idea was, not only Passover was to be a celebration for the people who were celebrating Passover, but it was to be something that would provoke the questions of children. What does this mean? Why do we do it this way? And that, that would give you opportunity to explain and recount what God had done for the Israelite community. Or flip over uh, to the very popular book of Joshua. A couple books over. Joshua chapter 4, notice this. This is when uh, a generation of Israel uh, was entering the promised land. Verse 4, Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan River. He said, each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan River was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off and the stones are to be a memorial forever. Right? So again, part of what God instituted in Israel we're built in teachable moments. Hey, hey, hey why, do we, why do we go up and live in, in tents, booths, they were called, when we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, it's because God sustained us for the wilderness. Why, why is there a pile of rocks there? Well, it's because when we crossed into the Promised Land, God did this miraculous thing. Why, on this certain day, do we slaughter a lamb and then like, eat it in a certain way? Like, What's all that about? Well, that's when God delivered us out of slavery, right? This, this was one of the roles of the worshiping community was to use the teachable moments to transmit faith to the next generation. So, or, and it wasn't just the faith community. Flip backwards to the more popular book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a very, very famous passage called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This is what Jesus would recite at least once a day, probably three times a day, one of the central prayerful declarations of Judaism. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. 
These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your... Talk, thank you. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. So you'll go to Israel and you'll see people who have literally parts of Torah wrapped around their arms. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Sometimes there'll be little boxes right here uh, of miniature uh, parts of the Torah that are literally um, the symbols of, of this verse. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Write them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So in other words, in God's economy, the home is to be the place where faith is transmitted. That is the primary unit the purpose of one of the purposes of the home is so that the older would invest in the younger, that they would use these community teachable moments, but then they, as a part of regular, ordinary life, would be transmitting as you lie down, as you get up. How mundane is that? When you sit at the table and when you walk along the road, how mundane is that? And that you were to have literally these symbols on your door frames, on your arms, on your head. To remind the community, but to specific, specifically remind the next generation of the faithfulness of God, the, recounting the stories of the past, and your obedience and allegiance to him currently. Make sense so far? See, sometimes what happens is I'll hear people say this. Yeah, we're not very religious, but we want our kids to go to church. Now, which do you think has more influence over kids? 60 minutes in church or 10,000 minutes away with parents that aren't super interested, right? I mean, which, which, which do you think actually has more influence? I'm going to go with the 10,000 minutes a week, right? Or we'll punt to Christian school. Parents are to be the primarily, primary disciplers of their kids. The primary place where faith is built and sustained is, is the home unit. It's not the church. It's not the community. It's not a Christian school. It's the home. Now, because homes are fractured, because we don't have extended families, because we're scattered all over the place, right? The church, the community, Christian schools, all of those things can be great supplements, but still, the biblical vision is that the, the home is the place where faith is transmitted. But here's what I want you to see. Notice, why does the community exist? Well, the community exists to transmit the faith to the next generation. Why does the home exist? One of the reasons the home exists is to transmit the faith to the next generation. Are you seeing a theme here? Are you seeing a theme here? Are you seeing a theme here? Go to the book of Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 71. I wonder what we'll read here. Psalm 71. You guys, on an excitement scale, <laughs> notice, oh, I got, let's see my fan. Do you see my fan? I'm glad I, I'm glad I have a tucked in. Psalm 71, verse 18. So one of the beautiful, and th these kind of verses are all over the Psalms. I love this. Even when I am old and gray. How many old and gray we got? Come on. Come on. Let's go. Come on, old and gray. No, no. Keep them up. Let's go. Love it. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. How about that for retirement? How about that for a mission statement? 
when you consider yourself elderly, right? That is what we're talking about. See, there's this lie in the church and this lie in the world that at precisely the moment you have the most wisdom and the most time and sometimes the most resources, that you are now irrelevant. And so we shuttle you off into retirement homes, to shuffleboard communities. You move to Florida, for crying out loud, right? And there's this thing where somehow you've outlived your usefulness. That is such crap from a biblical perspective. There is, there is, in the, in the Bible, and we're going to do a whole podcast on this because this, I'm getting fired up. In the Bible, old age is considered victory. You understand that? It's not considered a curse. Now, old age isn't easy. Nowhere does it say it's easy. It just says it's a blessing, and it says it represents victory. And in the scriptures, old age was considered an accomplishment. You were never cast out as irrelevant. And so you talk about, okay, so what's retirement? Well, how about this? How about, I mean, seriously, my brothers and sisters with some gray, what if you made this one of the pieces of your retirement plan? Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Come on. Man, our churches would be so different. Or flip over to uh, Psalm 78. Love this. We will not hide your commands from our descendants. We will tell the next generation of your praiseworthy deeds, of your power and the wonders you have done. He has decreed statutes for Jacob, established in the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their what? Children, so the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and they would in turn tell their children. They would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds. Right? So there's this theme. Or let's one, one more, just because you're so excited about all this. Let's go to the book of Titus. Very popular in the New Testament. Very, very, very popular. It's the end of the T's. So there's a guy named Paul who writes a bunch of books, and they're arranged from longest to shortest. So you start with a book called Romans, and then you get into some Corinthians, and then you've got some other stuff, and then right towards the end, right before this sweet, awesome book of Philemon, there is the book called Titus, written to a man named Titus, hence the name. Here's some instructions. This guy's running a church in a, in a party island called Crete. So take Las Vegas, put it in the Mediterranean, and give it an island, and this is what Crete was, all right? Like, totally pagan. And here's Titus, kind of a young pastor. Here's some instructions. You, however, verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. You, Titus, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, ladies. Evidently, the men are fine, but the ladies, we got to watch the ladies. But to teach what is good, then they can urge the who? 
the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind. Now remember, patriarchy, I got it, I got it, I got it. But here's the idea, right? All throughout the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in the New Testament, what is the thrust of the passages we're looking at? Simple. One of the primary responsibilities of older folks is to invest in younger folks. Period. In the home, in the community. And so what we have in our churches and what we have magnified in our world is this massive generational distrust. And the world has done this to us. So the world labels us and categorizes us. So we've got busters and boomers and Xers and millennials and Gen Ys and we stereotype and we label. And even in the church, you've got the older set that loves this kind of worship and the younger set that loves this kind of worship and these kids these days, they're da-da-da-da-da. So I, I want to talk to young folks and I want to talk to older folks just for a second. And I'm going to use myself as an us in both categories. Because I'm both right now. I'm very young. And I'm old and gray. If I had hair, it would be gray. I don't know. But, older folks. A couple of thoughts out of all this. Number one. What would it be like if instead, and I'm not saying you do this, but I'm saying it's true in church as a whole. That if instead of criticizing the next generation, you invested in them, you believed in them, you supported them, and you blessed them. You blessed them. You were not threatened by them. You listened to them. You didn't judge them. You didn't categorize them. You didn't label them. You listened to them and you blessed them. What would happen if, if an older generation embraced their roles as spiritual mothers and fathers to many who have come from fractured homes who would wage war against America's preoccupation with youthfulness, realizing it's a lie, it's not true, you are never irrelevant as an older person if you are willing to invest in people younger than you. I mean, I have, I have mentors that I, I rarely see, but they're mentors nevertheless who are in their 70s, one of them tells the same stories over and over and over every single time. And I count it a great privilege to listen to those same stories. There's something that happens in me with spiritual fathers, right? I've got another guy who has just been undergoing cancer after cancer after cancer after cancer and how he's battled through anxiety and battled through depression to cope, become a person of hope and steadfastness and oh my goodness, so inspired by this person. And, and you're just sitting with these people and you're realizing they have more to say. They have a platform, but no one highlights them. Right? When, you, when you get big pastor's conferences, you're not asking the 90-year-old to come out and share. It's the hip, the young, the cool. We have so missed this. And as a result, so many of our older folks feel irrelevant. Or they feel like all the church wants is their money. And that's all they have to give. I mean, just that's awful. That's awful. We have sinned against the older generation by buying into culture's preoccupation with youthfulness. Listen, when you are, were a kid in Israel, you were considered dumb. You just worry. What, what wisdom did you have? So I'm thrilled we all, have, we all have blogs and podcasts, but if you really want 
to gain wisdom. Man, listen to some folks that aren't here anymore. You know, guys like Dallas Willard. Oh, my goodness. Right? People that have lived. I mean, we need them. And we welcome them. And, but my brothers and sisters, for those of you old and gray, you have to fight yourself against the temptation to believe you're irrelevant. That's just not true. And so we welcome <laughs> and love that I look around and I see young and I see old. And if it were all old, I'd be bummed. And if we're all young, I'd be bummed. But when you see a beautiful mix, you're like, okay, now we're, now we're cooking. Now there's something happening. So my older brothers and sisters, we need you. We need you. But we need your blessing. We need your blessing. There's enough criticism. I get it. And there are times when that's totally appropriate. But if the predominant posture of the older generation to the younger is always one of criticism, that doesn't foster anything like what the scriptures picture about passing on the faith to the next generation, right? That faith can be expressed in so many different ways. So instead of being threatened, instead of being critical, may we invest. Now, young folks, flip over to 1 Timothy, which is to the left. It's one of the T's. To the left, to the left. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. We'll do a couple passages in 1 Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. In a city called Ephesus, which was its own mess. Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Right? And so this is one of those things where, where it's like the church lies to you in saying that somehow you're the church of the future. Well, that's not true. This, this is your place too. It's not just the province of, well, we built this place. Right? We've been here for 40 years. This is on my seat. Right? No. No. Older folks, we have so much to learn from the younger generation. They have so much to teach us. To believe that as a younger person. Now, the younger generation will believe that very easily. That they have a lot to teach us. Right? And so it's a bit of humbleness to sit and listen to folks that are in their 20s telling us, you know, about how they're going to fix everything we've screwed up. And, of course, 70 years from now, they'll have their own issues to repent of. But there's this beautiful picture of what it means to be young, to be an example. And then notice, this is so beautiful. How am I over time? I've read numbers are yelling at me saying I'm a minute over. Does it feel over? Yeah, probably more than, five, probably more than a minute Probably like, it's been 30 minutes over in my book. One last point then. To a young man, notice this. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your... Treat younger men as... Older women as... And younger women as... With absolute purity. So here's the idea. If you're young, what... how? What's the biblical command about mothers and fathers? Honor. I was going honor. Love is included. Honor. So, if you're here and you're like me, you're super young, super hip, super cool, to admit 
We need those who have gone before us. And what we do to them is we honor them. We forsake our entitlement. We forsake the resentment that says, get out of the way and let me do my own thing. We willingly treat each other as a family. So older folks I'm treating as fathers and mothers. Younger folks I'm treating as siblings. And there are, so the picture, the picture is that the church becomes a household. And that there's honor shown by the younger to the older. And I think that is an incredibly compelling picture. Even if you disagree, that's, that's irrelevant to honor. I mean, I think of two guys who I wouldn't be here, and maybe you'd be grateful, but I wouldn't be here if I was an investment banker out of college. And I was about, about to take a job as a bond trader on the floor of a $26 billion company. And I loved money and I loved selling and so I became a pastor, which is totally congruent with that. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and so I had two guys, Roger Hershey, you know Hirsch, and a guy named Wynn Clark, who these guys were friends of mine in this little bitty town who God used so significantly to say, you know, there's something other than money you ought to be serving. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I, to give them honor is easy. But I forget sometimes, and I think, no, 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 I've, you know, look at what I've done. And God just keeps saying, no, man, oh my goodness. It was, if it wasn't for these two guys and so many others who have been sages along the way, I'd have nothing to say, I'd have nothing to do. And so there is, there is this deep call, my brothers and sisters, to show honor. So what's that mean for us? A couple things. First, we're going to be a community that really, really welcomes the generations mixing together. My kids, we're not ever going to do a flashy youth group. We're not going to do flashy youth events. Because if you win young people to entertainment, then entertainment has to keep them there. And when I say capture the hearts and minds of the next generation, my goal is that they would fall in love with the ordinary, average, weird, local body of Jesus followers. Like, we're just an odd family made up of uncles and aunts that, you know, normally you'd never invite, but because you're related to them, here they come at Thanksgiving. Right? There is such beauty and power in every Sunday, taking the bread and the cup together. There is such beauty and power in committing to a space, even though it's not perfect. And so we just want to be a place that we don't win and attract folks from the next generation to something that isn't real. We want them to fall in love with this. And that means we love older folks, but we love the older folks who love them. Now, we love all older folks, but, but the older generation, we have to forsake the threat and bring blessing. The younger generation, we have to forsake entitlement and bring honor. And when you get a community that starts doing that, now we're talking. I sat with 20 uh, young adults on a Thursday night at our table fellowship. And all of them would love mentors. But they're terrified. They don't want to be rejected. They assume you're too busy. What do they have in common? 
right? And then I talk to older folks and they're like, well, who'd want to listen to me and what do I have to bring? And so there's just this fear on both sides and people were like, well, are we going to do a mentoring program? No, no, there's a program that does this. It's the gradual change of human hearts to say, okay, God, is there an older person I can show honor to? Is there a younger person I can invest in? God will answer all of these things. And odds are he set so much in front of you, we just haven't woken up to it. So one of our core convictions is that we exist to transmit the faith to the next generation at six minutes and 27 seconds over. So let me pray. We'll close. I had this big, booming, smoke and fog close I was going to do, and I got nothing. So let's just pray. God, would you take this and speak life for my older brothers and sisters who are tempted to believe that old age is a curse and not a blessing and that they are, bless you, bless you. Bless the sneezers, Jesus, in, in your name. Bless them. That you, would, um, that you would invite the older generation to be recaptured by a passion, not only for you, but for those who are coming up behind us. That you would wage war against the lies of our culture that tell them they've outgrown their usefulness and that retirement is just being set aside. God, we just know that's not true and we speak against it in the name of our Jesus. And for those of us who are younger, God, may we forsake the temptation to believe that we don't need any help and that we've got nothing to learn from those who walk before us. May we be gracious in showing honor and willing to listen and to learn. In all of this, Lord, we pray we become a community that looks and acts and talks like Jesus so that people would be drawn to you and learn what it is to sit under your lordship. We bless you. Amen and amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Ten of you. Um, I want to introduce you to my friend Nate. Nate, come on out. He's one of our uh, community pastors, just commissioned, so we'll have a kind of glow about him right now. Hello, Nate. Say hello to the hello. 9 o'clock service. Hello. Uh, 9 o'clock, say hello to Nate. I know, that's, that's par for the course. Yeah, yeah. Just jump in, right? Do it. Okay. So I'm going to read mine because I'll get too nervous and forget. Um, so I prayed the prayer to accept Jesus into my life at the intellectual, discerning, and downright wise age of three. I grew up in a Christian home with Christian music and happy birthday Jesus Christmas celebrations. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. That's what Feliz Navidad means. Happy birthday Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' birthday on Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Hold that, hold that mic up a little more. I went to a Christian school and church, attended youth group, and watched Christian movies and TV shows on the family Mitsubishi. I was a youth camp attending, Bible verse memorizing, third day DC talk, Jesus freak, and even Kirk, Kirk Franklin, <laughs> and even Kirk Franklin makes me want to stomp listening, WWJD bracelet and iron cross necklace wearing, epitome of a respectable American Christian preteen. Yes, yes, that's it, that's it. and look at you now. That's right. All of this had trained me to live the Christian lifestyle, attending to all the rules, so surely God would bless me. Then this little thing called the internet was introduced into the scene. As a teen and then a college attending 20-something, I found myself awake late at night in front of the computer screen, filling my mind with things that can't be unseen, allowing an artificial fleeting thing 
to satisfy me temporarily and so easily. I was in the prime of my Christian life, breaking the rules and choosing me while at the same time presenting a lifestyle of noble Christian character. I had it down to a T. Oh, yeah, and was feeling strangely powerful throughout the whole thing. The thought running through my mind the entire time, look at this amazing Christian life I've created for myself. Thanks, God. Air high five to you. So glad we're buddies, wherever you are up there. And yeah, I know I choose sin on the regular, but hey, you're here to forgive. I've got this Christian lifestyle thing figured out. (laughs) And it seems as though I can even still choose me because you forgive and love me unconditionally. All the while, though, sensing something was missing, but continuing on with all the add-ons just as I'd always done. And because that's what everyone else seemed to be doing. The cycle was, do the Christian thing and be really good at it. All the while, looking forward to getting away from it all, debriefing by choosing me with whatever the vice may be, secretly. Life took a turn after moving away from the sheltered safety and security of comfortable familiarity. After only a few short months of attending a church, something quite shocking became apparent to me. And in Orange County, of all places, the epicenter of me, me, me. Something that may have been fairly elementary to many, but for me, it was like discovering a hidden treasure that had always been there. I just couldn't see. After all these years living in between a moral Christian lifestyle and, honestly, the worship of me, my eyes were opened to why I had felt so empty, so lost, so in need. It was Jesus that had been missing, and not in the cliche, Jesus is the answer sort of way. Hmm. It was real, tangible. This is what I've been missing, completely unmanageable. A personal relationship was available. Stripping away the add-ons of the popular Christian lifestyle revealed to me the mess of me, the desperate need to move away from the momentary for something that would sustain me fully. The add-ons became such a distraction, a refraction of God reduced down to a three-minute song, a compacted Christian lifestyle where lots of little things and activities became the core of my spirituality. I had grown weary, tired of, and even angry from choosing me and, and living a life enslaved to maintaining a rootless hollow tree. Recognizing my need to control, to fill, to contain had all been ingrained within me. A constant battle of keeping up an image, a reputation, an expectation, a presentation of a declared life for Christ lived falsely. Let me be clear. I don't think the add-ons are wrong. I mean, Hillsong, come on. But for me, they clearly hindered, kept buried, and filled the empty space reserved for a relationship of mercy, grace, and even strength, leaving me stuck in the cycle of a lifestyle, temporary and momentary, feel-good fixes to a deep emptiness, a way to stay busy and on top, in control, in a constant state of being filled up, or so I thought. Where it begins and where it ends is to stop, to stop choosing me, which I still do a lot, embracing the empty, worn-out me, naming the pride, lust, and greed, because every time that's where me and my creator meet, allowing transformation to take its seat. I'm still in process, and in this life, always will be. All I know is the life of Jesus is central to this whole following Jesus thing. If you have any questions about this chapter of my story, I would invite you to ask me anything. Whether this was a spoken word piece or a poem thing or just a few sentences that end with E, thanks for listening. Yes! <laughs> oh, dude. Come on. Micah's got nothing. <laughs> oh, man. So great. Dang. So we want to be a community that's really honest because, um, as Nate said, it's not the, the pretend self that Jesus is saving and so um, this is the, the, the highlight of our service. This is the reason we gather. We do all of what we've done to set up for this, which is to allow you to respond to what it is you've heard and what it is you've seen. And uh, we respond in a lot of different ways. We respond by coming to the table. All are welcome at the table of Jesus. 
to take the bread and to dip it in the cup, to be reminded again of, of what it is that God has done on our behalf, reminded it, be reminded of what our identity actually is and what we're being formed and shaped into. We take parchment and we write the things that are heavy on our hearts. We roll those up and we stick them in these little pieces of wood so that uh, during the week we have a prayer team that will be praying for all those things. We thank you for those of you that let us know kind of how things are going. And uh, we celebrate with you for, for those victories. We lament with those of you who are in the middle of just heavy, heavy stuff. We put a tallit, a prayer shawl, over the, those pieces of wood because they remind us the woman that just snuck through a crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' robe to receive healing. And though those pieces of cloth don't have power in themselves, they are just a way to ask for the healing of the broken things in our own lives too. We have two prayer folks that will be over uh, next to the gluten-free prayer station. And, uh, and they're available to pray for you if you want prayer now and not just during the week. They'll be over there. And then uh, next to the doors, um, a lot of people in our community worship by taking some of the money they've earned and giving it here. And we're not a for-profit business. We're not into that. We don't manipulate or, or lie to people or whatever. But we are a community that wants to learn generosity, that wants to practice generosity, that wants to be discipled away from just consuming. And so a lot of us, this is an act of worship. That's there for you also. But the biggest thing we do, the highlight for me of every week, is to just see the community in line, taking the bread and the cup after whatever kind of week it is that you've had, whatever kind of reminder it is that you need. So Izzy's going to lead us. I'm going to pray for us, and then um, we'll respond together. So God, we bless you. We thank you. We're grateful that you are here, that you are with us. And God, we are a forgetful people. And so we come to the table, some of us limping, some of us crawling, some of us celebrating, some of us mourning. But we come to the table to be strengthened, to be reminded of forgiveness, of hope, of restoration. Some of us come in repentance and sorrow. God, some of us come asking for healing. Some of us come asking for help. God, we know that you listen and that you're attentive to the cries of our hearts. And so we pray that you would release your spirit um, over us as we respond, that you would do work in us and in our community to form it and shape it to be like Jesus. To that end, God, we worship you now. Amen. Hi, Izzy. Oh, my brothers and my sisters, here we are. Stand up if you would. So now we go as the church community in all of our imperfections. I've got to stand out of that. Um, all of our hope and fears and disappointments, and, and yet um, the scriptures remind us we carry this name of Jesus with us. And, uh, and so we always kind of commission and bless us out into the spaces that matter most, our family spaces and the public square and our, our homes, our schools, our work. Yay for work. Okay, no amen on that one, all right. <laughs> so, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And may he give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. Bless you, my brothers and sisters. It is such an honor. We know you have your choice of many churches. We're thankful you chose us today. Hope it was awesome. Nope, say hello to somebody as you go. And have a great week. We'll see you later. March Madness. Goodbye. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.